Genre. And welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Jodorowsky, and this week we're discussing Ryu, Kaori, Raita, Akko, and Guy from the Japanese television series Jetman. And joining me for the discussion is returning guest Norman Mitchell. Welcome back, Norman. I'm uh, I'm happy to be here and talk about uh, something that I, I kind of fell in love with right at the beginning of the pandemic. <laughs> we're going to be talking about episodes 1, 2, 3, 7, 10, and 39. Uh so a handful of episodes that we'll summarize for you. But Jetman is a series that for American audiences, I would just say think Power Rangers and more on why you would think Power Rangers with this when we get to the trivia. And it features a team of heroes who uh, who can suit up into some powered suits and then also jump into some powered vehicles. And those powered vehicles can join up into a giant robot that's going to fight some giant monsters. Uh, <laughs> how we came to it. Uh, well, Norman, you you asked me if we could talk about Jetman, and I said, sure. And you told me where to go find these episodes of Jetman. That's how I came to it. How did you come to Jetman? I think that's probably going to be the more interesting story. So I uh, I came to Jetman right at the beginning of the pandemic when I was looking for something to watch. Uh, and I was scrolling through. At the time, it was VRV Select. Uh, and I noticed that they had a bunch of the original Sentai footage uh shows original sentai shows of power rangers uh and i was a big power rangers fan as a kid and like into my teen years uh and there's a lot of stuff about power rangers that i still like enjoy as an adult and there was one in the list that i didn't recognize the suits from and it was called chojin sentai jetman and i was like well what is this and i started watching it and pretty much from the moment i heard the theme song for the first time i was just like well i'm gonna keep watching this i think uh, and by the end of the first episode, I was like, I need to know where the hell this goes, because there's there's a funny turnaround to me just in the first episode where like two characters are told, you know, you'll always be together. And then two minutes later, one of them is sucked out of an airlock. <laughs> and this is a children's show. Uh, and this is ostensibly a children's show. So I watched yeah. like the whole thing at the beginning of the pandemic. And like I, I fell in love with it the whole way through some of the uh one character in particular in the show, I really love the character arc he goes on. Uh, there's really, I would say that really only three of the characters in the show have a real arc uh, of the heroes anyway, and then two of the villains do. But we're mostly, the episodes I sent to you were to talk about like a smattering of character traits from the heroes. Yeah. Um, and, and so you said like off the top, like this is a Sentai series that you 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 were looking for a Sentai series because of Power Rangers. Can you help explain what a Sentai series is and how that affects the American product of Power Rangers? Yeah, so what uh what the the Super Sentai series is um and it's uh Super Super Sentai is like a superhero team show. Um they started in the in the mid 70s. Um I cannot remember the name of the first one without looking. Uh, I think it's Go Longer, I think. And then that continued for many, many years. There's a bunch of different versions of it. Uh, in the late 80s, a producer named uh, Haim Saban came up with this idea that because these these shows already existed, 
that you could we you could buy the rights to the footage and shoot new footage for outside the shoot outside the suits for the characters and that way you wouldn't have to pay for sets for fights or costumes for fights or special effects for fights and you could very cheaply produce like an action show for kids. So he started trying to figure out like what would be a good series to do that with. And the one that finally like got the pitch through was called uh Zhu Ranger. And that's the one that became the first series of Power Rangers, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Uh Jetman is the series right before that one and is often called the darkest Sentai and is one of the most popular among the modern fandom and was fairly popular at the time. Yeah, so the for the American audience that's watching Power Rangers, they see the American actors playing these high school kids, you know, and doing the setup and, you know, they, they set up the story and everything. But then it cuts to the shots of when they have morphed into their power suits. And that is just the footage from the Japanese show. And because the masks covered the mouths and everything, it they, they don't do anything but add voiceover of the American actors. Uh, and they just straight up use the footage of them in their suits. And then also the monster fight. Uh, they just use the existing footage from these Japanese shows to really, like you said, lessen all the production costs of, uh, of yeah. these things. And then over time, that kind of became less of what went on. They actually would like purchase the, sh- the suits for the Rangers and the monsters and would produce like whole new fight scenes to kind of fill in or places where the footage didn't seem usable to like the modern show that they were producing for the stuff that was outside the suit. So over time it became more of a, well, we didn't have to produce the props, but we'll just buy all the props from the studio in Japan and we'll use them. Uh huh. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, so I was like just outside the right age range to like really watch a lot of power Rangers, but I had younger siblings. So like I was around when it was on. So I remember like the pattern of an episode Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I'm guessing if I went and like watched it with modern eyes, I would see some of the seams even more so now, you know, like, oh, okay, oh, yeah. that, you know, they're, they're really forcing uh, the dialogue to do a lot of heavy lifting <laughs> to, to connect uh, the action, <laughs> you know, in moments like that. Uh, and, and as you're saying, like, as Power Rangers became immensely profitable and popular, they increased the budgets, yeah. it sounds like, and, and were able to... Um, yeah. clean up some of that I, I it would really would be interesting to go back and watch and just see where <laughs> like how much uh exposition is happening in, in just dialogue over shots yeah. that who knows what was being said in the original <laughs> yeah. there there are definitely parts of of mighty morphin and like the the original kind of run of power rangers that are pretty rough but there's also like a surprising number of like fairly like mature stories or like seriously handled stories. And there's also just absolutely wild things in the continuity of power Rangers. Well, also because I mean, they, when they are reshooting the, you know, the scenes with the American teenagers, they're, you know, contextualizing everything for an American culture and Amer- an American audience. Mm-hmm. And so like those I'm guessing have very little connection to the original storylines from the Japanese shows. Yeah. Yeah, and some of the some of the later like showrunners for Power Rangers were more interested in trying to be closer to adapting the Sentai footage and the Sentai storylines, and that would go back and forth across the continuing history of Power Rangers as a show. Yeah, but I'm just thinking about like, like I, I do remember like the two high school bullies, Bulk and Skull, and yeah. know, things like that. Where you know who know? I mean, I'm sure people have done the the comparisons. You could go find uh, that, but that must be completely divorced from what was present in yeah, the yeah, original yeah. shows. 
I actually think Vulcan Skull are really interesting because in the in the grand scheme of Power Rangers, they are probably the two characters aside from uh, Tommy Oliver, who is the the character that's the first Green Ranger, uh, that have the most character development of anybody because they're in the first six seasons of Power Rangers or the first five seasons, six seasons. Depends on how you want to split up Mighty Morphin. And then they show up again in a later season. So there's just a lot of content with those two. Uh-huh. All right. Well, there's some of the context for how American audiences might kind of know this type of show. Uh, yeah. And like you said, Jetman is right before the series that is going to become at least half of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Yeah. Um, and, and so uh, this series, Jetman, aired 51 episodes between February 1991 and February 1992, which means it probably had pretty much a weekly release schedule. Um, yeah, 51 episodes across a year. They must have taken one week off and, somewhere. But even uh, like we, we talked about how part of the, the reason for doing the show the way they did when they transfer transformed the shows into a, a Power Rangers for American audiences was to save budget. I was thinking like because of how they do the action scenes with those suits, I am sure they had like rotating groups of stunt doubles that were filming things at the same time. The main actors were doing their stuff without it. You know, <laughs> like uh, you can really right. compress a lot of the shooting schedule in order to be able to produce 51 episodes in a year. Right. Uh, the way just from the, the, the way the show looks. Yeah. Um, There's a, an interesting thing about this show too, is um, some of the laws about uh, actor safety in Japan changed right after this production. So a lot of the like vehicle stunts that you see in the show are being performed by the actors like driving motorcycles and ATVs. But then in the very next series, the laws had changed and they couldn't do that anymore. So there's actually less footage of like them driving around and doing stunts in vehicles. Oh, okay. Because uh, it would be stunt drivers by that point, I would guess. And so maybe when they're in their suits, they're still doing lots of vehicle stuff, but not <laughs> the the regular actors. Um Jetman, as, as you said, it, like it, it was uh, from what I saw, like it was an increase in popularity from the earlier ver, you know, the the couple seasons previous of Super Sentai series, mm-hmm. and and so with the Super Sentai series, is it just kind of like a rollover of cast and and premise? But basically, you're going to have a, te- a super powered team fighting in robots against giant monsters. Yeah, like a lot of them don't really have much of a connection to each other story wise. Um, there's usually in a lot of the seasons, there's like a team up episode with the last team of Rangers at some point, um, but not in every season. Uh, I did. There's not one in Jetman with the team up with the uh-huh. previous season. The previous season is uh, often considered like either the worst or the least popular like season of of the Sentai, I guess. And I haven't gone to try and find it to watch it, uh, but I am curious <laughs> about it. Yeah, I saw like this had a pretty significant ratings increase over that previous season, which kind of saved, I guess, the Super Sentai series, which ends up in for American audiences, meaning we get Power Rangers over here. Yeah. <laughs> um, three novels from the showrunner were published that retold the events of the series. So it's not like continuing adventures of these characters, but like Wikipedia made very clear these novels are for adult fans. <laughs> yes. So is and... the sequel comic book is for adult fans. Uh, OK, I. As yeah. soon as I finished this series, I went and found that sequel comic book to read online. And it is it is very weird and very dark and very graphic. <laughs> so I don't know, like the, the showrunner, because it sounds like the showrunner was responsible for that or like went and wrote those those novels and probably had a hand in this manga. He was making a kid show, but wasn't really interested in making a kid show. <laughs> like... No, 
I wonder what kind of battles he had. Well, even in these episodes, like there's one uh, episode early on, like the third episode where there's a faucet monster where it's like this absurd, uh, like like a kitchen faucet comes alive and it wraps, you know, uh, itself around a person and the person just kind of disappears in a flash of special effects. But then it cuts to a shot of blood dripping out of the faucet and it is like, yeah. undeniably blood it is now dripping out of this faucet right. slowly. And like, I'm like that is there, really dark for a kid show. <laughs> there are episodes where like you see kids like die in this show (laughs) so yeah like this is in so many ways just clearly children's entertainment but in other ways it's like what's going on with the showrunner right here like what boundaries is he trying to push yeah the writer Uh, of this i guess is well known as being like a like a soap opera writer like that's the kind of stories he likes Uh uh-huh which is probably i I saw that one thing (laughs) The one thing that differentiated this from previous versions was like an increase in like the uh, like romantic entanglements amongst the team, uh, which uh, some parents had complained about, but it seemed to prove popular and uh, increase the fan engagement with the series. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the last bit of trivia I had is that there was a side scroller video game released in 1991 uh, for this. And that's the first video game about a super Sentai property, which this feels like a very natural, like almost you, you sometimes you question which came first, the video game or this, this kind of TV show. Yeah. Um, It seems like such a natural pairing. So I was surprised that it's the first one. Right. It took 15 shows before they made a video game. And the, and we were talking about the very beginning of the nineties, like, the fam- Nintendo family computer had existed for a decade at that point, and they hadn't made a game yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm sure there must be a, how many Power Rangers and Sentai video games now <laughs> that are out there. Yeah, right? I mean, I had some on Sega Genesis growing up. There were like Mighty Morphin ones, like made for uh, the American side of the the audience. All right. Well, before we jump into the summaries of these episodes, which will be a treat, listeners, you do not know what is coming, I promise you. Uh, Before we do that, we want to thank you for downloading this episode, and we especially want to thank any of you who support us on Patreon. If you'd like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our monthly quickcasts, which are shorter episodes in which we talk about the media that we've been consuming that we're not yet covering as full episodes of the podcast, and we also give updates on our fantasy box office game. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. On to the spoiler zone summary of these episodes. So episode one is called Seek the Warriors. A science experiment, and I'm going to be loose with that term science, um, (laughs) but an experiment that is meant to create five heroes that are going to protect the Earth goes wrong when uh, a threat from another dimension uh, interrupts the, the experiment. So there's a man named Ryu who's going to get powers from Burdonic Waves. His girlfriend was supposed to get powers, but instead she gets sucked out into outer space and dies. And as far as I know from the episodes we watched, is dead. Is that accurate? Oh, so you didn't know you didn't pick up on something that like you're very intentionally supposed to pick up on as a member of the audience then in the first episode. Um, I I will be honest. I was trying to type up the summary while watching and it had subtitles. So I know I missed some content as I was like flipping yeah. back and forth between my monitor and, and the screen. So I must've missed something. So uh, the thing this. that so you missed is me that, right now. Uh, Maria, the most human looking of the Virum is Rhea. Uh-huh. It's the same actress. Oh, okay. like, and it is her. Okay. Right. And that's something that right. you're supposed so- to realize as the audience, but the Jetmen and Ryu specifically won't realize for about 20 episodes. 
Oh, okay. So in my flipping back and forth between my TV monitor and reading the subtitles and trying to type in a summary, I missed this key part of the uh, part of the lore. Um, and you, uh, you said Ryu. I've been saying Ryu. Is it Ryu? Am I mispronouncing it's Ryu, that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Ryu receives powers from these Burdonic waves. His girlfriend gets sucked into outer space. The power granting Burdonic waves shoot down to Earth and are going to reach four random people. And these people are going to receive powers. Ryu goes down to Earth to the Jetman base and begins to look for the people who were granted powers. A monster has also been unleashed by Virum, which is this group from the other dimension, right? Or is that the name of the other dimension? Uh, The Virum is the name of the group, yeah. Okay. Uh, at times, I was a little unclear on what these names were labeling. <laughs> they are from back. the reverse dimension. Okay. Which you might call so, an upside down of sorts. <laughs> if, if, if you wanted to. Right. If you want to. Byram is going to um, release this monster that is going to start disintegrating uh, or absorbing people. The first person Ryu finds is Kaori, a rich young woman who is willing to join the fight with uh, the Jetman is what the group ends up being called. The second person is a farmer named Raita who does not want to join. But when the Vyram show up and attack his farm, he decides he's going to help the Jetman because nature needs to be protected from yeah. this interdimensional threat. All about nature, that one. Um, okay, episode number two is called The Third Warrior. Uh, a man that we meet cheating at gambling is revealed to have received these powers. Uh, so this is our first like, oh, he's he's operating in a gray zone <laughs> of morals and ethics, the way that he gets presented. Uh, and we also know that a high school student named uh, Ako is it Ako or Ako? I don't want Ako. Ako. Okay. Uh, named Akko received powers. Uh, Ryu and the gambler get into a fight when the gambler says humanity should just die because of its pollution and racism. Oh, he's so nihilistic, this guy. Uh, Akko is mostly curious about the pay for joining the Jetman <laughs> and is happy when she finds out the pay is going to be generous. Uh, Ryu beats up the gambler in a fight and then rushes off to go fight another monster that has showed up and the gambler gets up and chases Ryu, not to go help fight the monster, but because he wants to finish beating up Ryu. Yeah. <laughs> I did enjoy that. Uh, all of the Jetman, including the gambler, whose name is, uh, is it Guy? Is that how it's it? Guy, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they get access to their transforming powers, and they fight off the monsters. So they get into, like, the Power Ranger suits. Uh, in the end, Akko refuses the payment, saying that it is her duty to protect the Earth. And uh, Guy says, I'm not going to join the team. Episode three is the power of five. Uh, this creepy faucet monster kills a guy, and that's the one where we start to see blood drip out of the faucet. Uh, the new Jetman recruits are getting training. Ryu tries to get Guy to join the team again, but Guy says he just wants to enjoy life before the world ends. Like, there's no way we're going to win this fight. So, uh, you know, I might as well just go party. And they're going to fight again. I, I feel, I, I get the feeling if I'd watched all the episodes of the series, there would be more fights with Guy. Is that accurate? <laughs> I think I want to say that there is less than five like real fights between you and guy (laughs) Uh, but while they're fighting this faucet monster is also causing lots of trouble and and i i hope our audience is imagining when i say faucet monster (laughs) what faucet dimension they call it yes yeah, every monster is coming from a dimension that is named, uh, at least it seems like they're also coming from the, like there's a mirror monster from the mirror dimension, right? Uh, often just, there's a the, link the monsters are called dimensions. that. I'm actually not 100% sure why they are called that. It's just like the naming convention for most of the monsters, but there is one exception uh-huh. to that. <laughs> um, so it is, it's, it's like, think like a, a, a college mascot, but it was a faucet 
then you're on track for for what this faucet monster looks like. Also, in the second episode, a jet fighter gets big, muscly arms like a jet that like fights <laughs> yeah. that too. So good. Uh, Ryu uh, is going to go uh, save some kids from this faucet monster. That's going to make Guy angry. Uh, and uh, Ryu gets trapped, and Guy's just going to run off. The other three arrive to help uh, Ryu, and then Guy is going to begrudgingly help to de- defeat the faucet monster. And then reluctantly join the team uh, and immediately begin flirting with the women <laughs> that are on the team. He knows what he's about. All right. Episode at least seven. for now. Yeah. <laughs> There's no subtlety uh, in this. Again, this is children's entertainment. No subtlety here. Uh, episode seven, uh, Ryu's marriage. Ryu's grandmother comes to town to tell him about an arranged marriage that he is now going to be a part of. The other teammates spy while she shows him a photo of his promised wife. She says that Ryu shouldn't be hanging out with people like the jet man. Uh, he should settle down, have a family, inherit the family pickling business, live the dream. Uh, elsewhere, a boy sucked into a mirror. <laughs> Which, these threats from from this team. It's often like someone just doing something normal, going about their day, and then an alien hand like touches something around the house, and then suddenly that thing is a monster. <laughs> Uh, so the team debates whether Ryu should go through with the marriage or not. Elsewhere, there's another mirror attack. The bad guy, the bad guys think humans are weak and vain and can trap them in mirrors because all they want to do is look at mirrors all day. Ryu agrees uh, to meet the woman that he's now uh, trying to have an arranged marriage with. Uh, and the team all try to make this meeting go terribly wrong and make Ryu seem awkward. Uh, then there's more mirror attacks that happen and they have to go fight the mirror monster. Afterwards, um, the woman uh, reveals that she likes someone back home and she knows Ryu has a mission that he's fighting for here. Uh, but the mirror monster is going to attack again. Ryu's grandmother is going to save the day by using her compact mirror to deflect the mirror monster's ray onto one of the bad guys. And this bad guy is now trapped in the mirror dimension and demands that the mirror monster release her. And when the mirror monster releases her, everyone that's been trapped in the mirror gets released. So no deaths in this episode for the innocent civilians. Hmm. Uh, Ryu's grandma explains that mirrors are important to women and should not be used for evil. <laughs> Which, her line delivery on that was, was, I had no idea that line was coming. It was so great. <laughs> the mirror monster releases all of its victims. The jet man fight it off. Uh, later, Ryu learns that the woman his grandmother wanted to set him up with is going to uh, be in a happy marriage with a man that she was interested in back home. All right, episode 10. This was, for me, chef's kiss on episode 10 here. Cup noodles. One of Akko's classmates, Tatsuta, loves ramen noodles a lot um i had never seen a portrayal of a love of noodles that was quite like this but if you imagine like the stereotypical version of like <laughs> the kid that's gonna be picked on in high school because they love comic books too much and they have every first edition in poly bagged uh you know protective binders uh and other things like that but imagine that kind of obsession about comic books which we've seen portrayed many times in american media was about ramen noodle lids <laughs> that's that's what yep. we're dealing with <laughs> yep uh and, and tatsuta he really wants to share a rare 1983 olympic edition ramen with uh akko but she's just gonna keep walking and then a giant cup of noodles <laughs> appears in his apartment and reveals it is god ramen and God Ramen asks Tatsuta to help craft the ultimate cup of noodles. God Ramen and Tatsuta begin advertising happy Akko-chan noodles. Uh, this is actually, though, part of God Ramen's plan. Anyone who eats these noodles will be susceptible to hypnotize. 
Anyone who eats these noodles will be susceptible to hypnotization when God Noodle plays a piccolo. So, so it like you have to ingest the noodles to then become like a oh what's what's that children's story about the uh, the guy who leads all the children? Oh, like the Pied Piper. Catcher. Yeah, there it is, Pied Piper. To become susceptible to God Robin as a as a Pied Piper. Uh, these noodles are especially fast to prepare. It only takes one minute because humans are always in a rush to save time, even when they don't know why. I love that these. These stories do have like something about the mirror monster has something about vanity and the cup of noodle is something about humans always rushing everywhere is, is the weakness that they're trying to exploit in humanity. Uh, the, the, there is something of a commentary that's present yeah. in these stories. Yeah. Uh, when the piccolo is played, everyone who ate the noodles becomes impatient and violent with anything that is slowing them down. Uh, but then in the end, the Jetman team defeat the living noodle monster. Um, all right. Uh, the last one. Episode 39, uh, Spin Roulette of Life. Gray, one of the interdimensional bad guys, and a really great one, uh, wants to flip a coin with the other bad guys to decide who will go fight the Jetman next. He calls heads, and it, it's uh, like a George Washington quarter. I was surprised. I'm like, oh, it's just an American quarter. Uh, he calls heads, and then he leaves for Earth. The other bad guys realize that he was using a two-sided coin that guaranteed he would go. He really wants this fight. He just goes down and he fights the Jetman, turning four of them into figurines, like toys, with some fancy ray gun from, uh, what's the name of the, is it Sniper? Sniper, Sniper Cat. I've got it down. Sniper Cat. That's it. Sniper Cat. Oh, I love Sniper Cat so much. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Guy, the gambler, didn't get hit with this ray. They shot five, but but Guy managed to dodge. And so he's left to fight Gray. And he's going to rip a circuit off of Gray's body. Gray's and Sniper Cat are going to retreat after this happens. And then Gray uh, asks to meet Guy at the Casino Royale, where they're going to gamble for what each one has taken from the other. So we, we cut to the Casino Royale. Gray is drinking alone like a very sophisticated adult. I want to remind you, this is a robot. <laughs> he is a robot. Drinking this whiskey, it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so great. <laughs> He also smokes. He's, he's just, <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's so much I loved about this episode. <laughs> and then guy arrives and he looks like James Bond. He's in a tuxedo, hair slicked back. He's very suave. And they're going to go play roulette. Gray is a robot. So he calculates as soon as the balls in the roulette wheel, he calculates exactly the spin velocity and, uh, you know, the friction that's present. And he knows exactly where the ball's going to land every time. And he wins three in a row. Oh, and uh, I, I guess I should say Guy broke the circuit into four pieces. So there were four Jetman figurines, four pieces of circuit that uh, that Gray wanted. And they each like put one on red or black and who, whichever one the, the ball lands on, red or black, uh, whoever has that one wins the round. So Gray wins three in a row. And then Guy's going to make the last round all or nothing, which is great. I don't know why he does. That. Like, you, you shouldn't take that deal at this point. <laughs> like, you're, you're way ahead. Yeah. Uh, but Gray is going to bet on red. Guy bets on black. The ball stops on red. And the bad guys celebrate. Then the ball mysteriously jumps over to a black space. And the other Jetman are released because Gray's going to honor you know, the rules of this gambling <laughs> setup. Then it's revealed uh, that the Jetman have another giant robot named Tetra Boy, who I'm sure has been in several episodes. Uh, yeah. like, think like Godzilla-sized robot is Tetra Boy, who picked up the casino and tilted it to the left. <laughs> So that the ball would jump. <laughs> and uh, Tetra Boy has such an advanced computer that he could do this with no one inside the casino realizing that the casino had been picked up. 
and built into enough that a ball would leave uh, a, a section of the roulette wheel and move to the other. Without spinning the wheel. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then Tetra Boy's going to shake the, the casino like it's a, like a boggle game almost. And everyone's going to shake around and fall out. And then they're going to fight. Uh, and the Jetman win. The end. Yep. <laughs> so it sounds like you enjoyed yourself. Oh my goodness! This this was uh, just a delight, and uh, obviously I missed some some key plot points as I was trying to to bounce back and forth. Uh, but I I definitely uh, did enjoy this, and like uh, as soon as I saw the first episode, like I don't it literally has it must have been decades since I had seen a Power Rangers episode, but I knew the beats of every episode. Right? Mm-hmm. It was going to be the these bad guys. The main bad guys are going to release a new monster of the week. That's going to happen. The good guys are going to fight this monster of the week in their human forms. And the monster is going to be the size of the humans. Uh, and the monster is probably going to have some group of faceless henchmen mm-hmm. uh, that are involved in the fight. Uh, then the humans are going to suit up. The monster is going to retreat uh and do something to be more powerful for another fight and the good guys are going to have some drama amongst themselves then suit up to fight the dra- the monster uh again uh and then there's going to be lots of sparklers and smoke during the fight scenes like just random smoke bombs going off as the the heroes f- do flips like they're being attacked right, well you can't <laughs> show the like main blood bad guy, and stuff so yeah <laughs> the main bad guy is going to make the monster grow to a giant form like Godzilla size and the good guys are going to get their vehicles to come fight the Godzilla-sized monster. And those vehicles are going to join up into a giant robot, and they will fight. And uh, there'll be some fight scenes that are exciting, uh, and that, that's the end of the episode. The, the bad guy will be vanquished uh, in the end. And that is pretty much what happened in every one of these episodes. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But like just watching that first episode, I was like a 20- or 30-year-old memory got unlocked to me. I'm like, oh, I know what's going to happen. <laughs> I, I know, know the rhythm go. and the shape of these episodes. There's something comforting about that, right? Like, it's just like, oh, I know what oh, I'm yeah. in for. Uh-huh. But then you and, don't and really know what you're kid, in like, for. I remember the quote. <laughs> oh, man, the cup of noodle monster. Go, listeners, try. Maybe I'll try and make this the, the cover image uh, for this week is the cup of noodle monster. God, Robin. Uh, um, I was going to say, even as a kid, like, I, I remember thinking, like, why don't they just use their vehicles at the, f- the first time? <laughs> it's because, well, it needs to be a 22-minute episode. That's why they don't. Right. <laughs> it's really about as far as the logic goes. <laughs> That's exactly why. Um, well, you yeah, said, <laughs> there is something comforting about it. And you, th- this is kids' entertainment. And there's also kid logic to it that I have to respect, especially now that I have young kids. So my eight-year-old will often just draw monsters and it will be like blueberry monster. Why? I don't know. Right. And then the next monster that he draws will be book monster. Why? Cause he wanted to draw a book monster. It's like whatever it kind of caught his eye and he's turning it into a monster and he's done dozens and dozens of those. Literally. I know for a fact, cause he had a goal to do this. He drew over 100 different kinds of crabs where it would be like football crab and Dr. Crab and astronaut crab. <laughs> and- <laughs> Chess I piece crab. Dr. Crab's PhD. <laughs> and he he, he had uh, something that was clearly delineating that this crab was this profession or whatever it was, because it wasn't always a profession, because sometimes it would be like watermelon crab. <laughs> and, he, and he labeled them, and he has a stack of over 100 crabs that he's drawn that 
as I was watching this, I'm like, oh, this is my son's logic <laughs> with, with like, what kind of monster is going to be this week? Uh, I don't know. A faucet. Why <laughs> the world would be a faucet monster? <laughs> don't know. It's a faucet monster. And I have to respect that, that it's children's entertainment that knows its audience and is making a product directly targeted at that. Yeah. Well, sometimes this one makes you question whether or not it really is trying to target those six to twelve year olds. <laughs> well, yes, again, the, the faucet monster did did bleed, and uh, I I guess there were a couple uh, maybe more serious episodes that if if I'd had a little more time, we were going to cover as well. Um, yeah, these ones are are mostly on the lighter side, I would say, outside of uh, the girlfriend being sucked out and then uh, the the blood dripping from the faucet. Yeah, there's like hints right at the beginning that this in the first episode that like. We're going to get into some stuff at times maybe that like feels a little dark or scary for like a kid show, like someone getting dragged into space all of a sudden. Uh, <laughs> and it, it seriously it comes two minutes after the commander is like, once you become Jetmen, you will always be together two minutes later. Yes. Ah. <laughs> and it's like really long shots of the finger slipping from one another. Like, oh, yeah. This is going to be embedded like for some children. That's a shot that's still in their mind is the, the fingers slipping apart. Oh, and if, <laughs> to watch the whole show, the you're going to see that like half a dozen times, probably. Oh, the, the, the hands being held and, and slipping away. Right. And then like her disappearing into the darkness of the of the set on wires. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I do think there's a place for uh, for some darkness in children's entertainment. Yeah uh you know i i don't think everything needs to be completely sanitized the children should sometimes feel scared when they're in a very safe place like they, they are at home with their family and they're mm -hmm. feeling a little nervous about something that's happening i think there's value in them experiencing fear in that way uh, i don't know that i need to see the blood dripping out of the faucet <laughs> yeah so like in the, the blood thing too like this show doesn't particularly shy away from blood there's not really too much in there's not a lot in these episodes but like the way that they show people yeah. injured sometimes can be like pretty bloody for a kid's show uh one of the episodes that uh -huh. you didn't watch that i had suggested um actually the two of them 17 and 18 both um there's like a little bit of like kind of body horror that gets a little bloody with like oh. a curse that yep. causes crystals to grow out of people's skin and like it, it shows them like come through like a play-doh like a play-doh or a like a textured thing that looks like skin and like you see it break in a little bit of blood like a, more than a few times oh. as this happens to characters that's definitely one that if this if this has been adapted for an american audience that would have been changed for sure yeah 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 um but yeah, so like, the, and like, you know, there's also stuff that like nowadays we just look at it and we'd be like, well, this wouldn't be in a kid's show. Like the robot that drinks and smokes. <laughs> yeah, there'd be no smoking on a kid's show today. Yeah. Like I remember uh, it was, it has to be almost 20 years ago now that the editor-in-chief of, of Marvel put down an edict that no heroes smoke anymore in Marvel comics and fans were outraged because Wolverine had a cigar all the time. And Nick Fury always had a cigarette and the thing was often shown smoking cigars. He's like, he's like, look, we're in a different place than when these characters were created. My dad died from lung cancer and I'm not showing hero smoking. <laughs> that, that's it. And now it's been, you know, 20, probably it might've been in the late nineties that this happened. Uh, um, and you, you don't notice it missing right right it's just it's just not there that's fine uh and while it is there's something delightfully absurd and uh like oh almost dadaist about the robot gray <laughs> drinking and smoking and and uh like really kind of a a downer presence <laughs> the robot gray. uh in a lot of ways uh 
you wouldn't you, like you said, you would you just wouldn't see it in the show and they do something else to make the robot be interesting. Right. Um, Gray is my favorite villain uh, across like the whole 51 episodes because Gray uh, Gray really kind of gets a character arc among the villains. He he changes mostly through his interaction and his relationship uh, with Maria, uh, because the thing that's in the background that's like not really like shown in any of these episodes is that there's kind of like a love story between Gray and Maria in the background of a lot of these. Um, they start uh -huh. to like fall for each other. Uh, this, you know, brainwashed woman who eventually remembers who she is, um, but still also like continues to fight for the Virum and this robot. Uh, and there's like a love story thing there that Ryu gets like wound up in. So like Ryu is in a love triangle kind of with like a robot and his brainwashed, brainwashed uh, fiance that <laughs> is now evil. Um, and then <laughs> there's also like who there's also the love there? triangle with Ryu and Guy and uh, Kaori that is present in among some of these episodes. Uh, yeah, very, very relatable for young children. <laughs> yeah. So like, that, that's like a thing that's like, was like that I was so like fascinated by when I watched this. Cause I'm like, I thought Sentai was for kids. Uh, and then it's like, uh -huh. this series like can get like kind of bloody. It deals with things that are sometimes just kind of like really dark. There's like all this stuff about like how adults deal with relationships. Um, and it's, at times it can be pretty violent. And this was one of the ones that Haim Saban like looked at and was like, I kind of want to adapt this. And like, no one wanted to. Um, and then the series right after yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine why. And then the series right after this, uh, Zhu Ranger is like all the characters, all the Ranger characters are younger. It's dinosaur robots. Um, the... Like, it still has, like, everyday objects getting turned into monsters. It's, like, more goofy, more jokey. There's not, like, a, a that, big romance between uh, rangers. I still remember, like, a pig pig monster from the first yeah. season of Power Rangers. that Like, a pig wearing, like, a, a knight's helmet, which somehow that image is stuck in my head. Yep. <laughs> of all the monsters from then. Uh, yeah. Like, the, the series feels like I remember Power Rangers being. But... Also, uh, I understand why this was not one that was adapted for American audiences. <laughs> yeah. Especially with uh, some of the other stuff that you're describing from, from other episodes that I didn't watch. Why do you think this is one that you, like, uh, it, it became bingeable for you <laughs> so quickly? Um, one, that theme song. I just wanted to hear it all the time. Oh, uh, yeah. It is a good theme song. Japanese so shows good. do. I've been wowed by several anime theme songs. And yeah. now this show's theme song as well. Right. I have the, this song is in, in my, my Spotify, like on repeat. It has been for a while. I've been listening to it again and just like, I just love this. I like the opening. I like the ending a lot too. Not as much as the opening, but I also really like the ending, um, which is called uh, Heart Like an Egg is what it's, its Japanese title is. Uh, Kokoro no Tamago, Heart Like an Egg. Um, and the, there's actually a pun in the name of the series because it's, it's Japanese. Uh, Chojin can both mean super person and bird person, depending on how it's written. Oh, so that explains the birdonic waves. Yes, which I love. I, I, I couldn't wait. I wanted to know, like, what your reaction to them calling them birdonic waves was. <laughs> I, uh, I'll be honest. I was like, did I read that right? <laughs> <On> the, <laughs> wait, wait, 
when the uh, subtitles came up. And so I was waiting for them to come up again. And I was like, oh, yeah, it is Burdonic. Burdonic. And the characters have uh, like uh, it's like when, when it becomes Power Rangers, it's just like Red Ranger, Blue Ranger, <laughs> Green Ranger. And on this, though, they had like a uh, bird themed titles, right? As Yeah, as it's, their it's Red Hawk. Roles. It's Red Hawk for Ryu. Uh, White Swan is Kauri. Uh Yellow Owl is is Raita. Uh, Guy is Black Condor and Akko is Blue Swallow. Uh, and then in the comic, there is a sixth one that is Green Eagle. Why is the green one always the one that's coming in late to the Power Rangers party? That's that's the thing that starts with uh, with Zoo Ranger. The next one uh, is like the the one right after this is the series that kind of created the trope of the sixth ranger. The, but like, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> but part of what made this so bingeable to me is that I think by the time I was like five episodes in when I was watching this, I started to really just kind of attach myself myself to a lot of the characters. I really enjoyed Ryu and Guy's dynamic. I really like Guy a lot as the series goes on. Um, and Kauri too. Um, those are the three that like really kind of have arcs across the show out of the heroes. Raita and Akko have uh, episodes where we get to like explore them more, but they don't have character arcs the way that Guy, Kauri, and, and Ryu do. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, I mean, from the very beginning, you know Guy is set up for like, okay, he's a jerk. <laughs> he's he's going to be less of a jerk. Right. <laughs> you know, there, there'll be some evolution there. And similarly, uh, Ryu, you know, okay, he's he's broken a little bit. His his girlfriend just fell through his fingers and got sucked into the void of space slash yeah. another dimension that he doesn't know yet. Um, so he's, you know, in a bad place to begin with. And uh, like you said, some of the other ones, they just kind of seem like almost, uh, I mean there's less obvious paths for them to move in terms of character evolution. Yeah. Like the most character uh, evolution that, um, that like Raita has is he also kind of initially has a crush on Kauri, but he decides on his own, like without any pressure from everybody else that like, he doesn't have anything to offer her. She's not interested in him. So he would rather just like remain her friend and be part of the team to make sure that she's always safe. It's like a thing, a realization he comes to on his own in the course of the story. Okay. So, uh, yeah, early on, maybe uh, thinking like the writers thinking maybe there'll be a little love triangle dynamic here, but then abandoning it. Yeah. And like you can see some of it maybe in the first couple of episodes, like Kauri and Raita are like fast friends. They get along. They work together in fights a lot. If you pay attention to the fight choreography. Which I do want to acknowledge, like the stunt coordinator on this, this show. I'm just trying to imagine doing 51 of these fight scenes. <laughs> well, I mean. 51 episodes with multiple fight scenes in a single year. Right. That is a lot <laughs> that they had to undertake. Um, and yes, there is something that's generic uh, about the fight scenes, but they're still coordinating the safety of dozens of times of people who are going through, you know, th this fight choreography together. Mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, of course, some of it does have to start to feel a little repetitive <laughs> with how much they were doing yeah. uh, and how much they're putting out. But it is like that is a feat <laughs> to, to yeah. undertake doing all of that. And it's not without injuries. Um, I guess the the actor that played Guy um, at one point had either some bruised or some broken ribs from like a fight scene. But he finished out like a whole week of shooting before like taking a break. Oh, well, that's commitment. I guess the schedule pace, you, you can't miss a week of shooting, right? <laughs> right. Like you got to do it. Uh, yeah. 
But yeah, so um, yeah, it's it's mostly the characters that like really made this so bingeable for me. I think Ryu like initially comes off as like kind of off putting with like how hardcore he can be about like kind of the Boy Scout routine, but like he very quickly just kind of uh, just kind of becomes really likable in the same way that like other Boy Scout superheroes can become likable for people. Like he's a good person. He sees the good in other people, even when they're like kind of being jerks. Like he recognizes that there's something in Guy that's like worth kind of fighting to bring out. And he's not wrong because Guy comes back for him in the third episode. He's like, why am I worried about this guy? And then he comes back and he he crashes into the monster with the front wheel of his motorcycle, uh, <laughs> which, which is pretty great. Again, stunts on this. <laughs> yes. How how were some of these stunts done? Were they done safely? I don't know. <laughs> they got the I footage. mean, they, laws about vehicle stunts like right after the show was made so like there were obviously problems somewhere in japan going on with it <laughs> some concerns are being raised by some unions <laughs> right but a lot of fights in factory hallways and quarries so oh yeah i that is one thing i do remember from uh mighty Morph power rangers how many fights were just in the same like rock setting <laughs> i think mm-hmm. and the, like someone uh, gets thrown out of a window immediately into a quarry no matter where they were in the, in the city <laughs> And the the cardboard buildings during the uh, the the giant monster fight scenes when when the giant, oh, yeah. the, the monster has been gigantified and uh, the heroes are now in their in their giant robot. Ah, there's something that's just so quaint but right about <laughs> the cheap cardboard backgrounds. Like I actually I don't want that to be better. I want that to be exactly what it is right there. Right. I want to look at this and be like, I know that there's actually two people on this set doing this fight choreography <laughs> and all of this kind of stuff that like lets you see through the illusion reinforces that for you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh yeah like the whoever's in the giant robot like i always think the giant robot whoever's inside of that it's gonna be so hard to do these ninja moves because their their arms have like big blocks around them because it's supposed to look like the you know the vehicles just formed up into this uh i i and yet they pretty often are able to do some some good graceful movements but i find myself kind of like pausing and thinking how are they actually moving in that costume at all? Yeah, uh, it's it's crazy to me, especially like some of the mascot style, like big monster costumes are also like they are they do make very limited movements. But I'm even amazed sometimes like how they can make the movements they are and not just like totally hit the other person in the face by accident and like really mess up everything, like how they could see anything like the the God Ramen outfit. I'm like, how does anyone do anything in that thing? And then that yeah, that out. one is the most ridiculous. It really is like imagine like your microvolt cup of noodle uh, styrofoam cup. <laughs> like one of its arms uh, is, now a, is a wooden fork. <laughs> and and the and the the flappy lid is the mouth, right? <laughs> it has like a face, and then it has like the flappy lid, and like it gets hot water poured in it and everything. It's like it's ridiculous. It's just pure absurdity. <laughs> um yes. but it's oh no and matter I, I think yeah that embrace of the absurd is something that i really like i i enjoyed like just this unapologetic absurdity uh, of, of the show like right yeah it's a ramen it's god ramen that's the bad guy this week what do you want <laughs> just like what are you do about it and that's the 10th episode of this show like i think that he is the silliest monster except for one that's from an episode that I don't think is good. And I wanted to make sure that you saw one of the two like really silly monsters. And I was just like, well, God Robin is a way better episode uh, because the other one has to do with a monster from right as nightmares from when he was a kid. But I just don't think the episode's as good as God Robin. What, what is the monster like? It's the tomato King. And it's literally just a guy in a green morph suit with a big, silly tomato head on for a mask. 
the tomato king did you the say tomato king this right now and he's got uh, a cape uh, oh my goodness <laughs> it's just a dude with a tomato on his head and but the tomato is carved like a jack-o-lantern yes and a and a cape <laughs> and the way he is defeated is that Raita faces his fear of his nightmare and eats a bunch of tomatoes. And then the guy, and then he's destroyed. Again, kid logic, right? This yeah. is, he's overcoming his fear. That, that's, that's what it takes. The name of the episode is the great demon king of the tomato field. Yes. Wonderful title. Like that yeah. should be a short story prompt. Like, like uh, for, for a, a short story, a high school class is like, you gotta write a, title, a story based on this title. Go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like and the, you know there's the big gap in the episodes that i that i sent you they go from like 10 to 39 uh and the two that i sent you in between were 17 and 18 there's there's uh a lot of stuff that really is like connected plot in the episodes in a way that i feel like power rangers didn't do to the same degree like for american audiences and that really surprised me when i watched this because i was expecting it to be considerably more monster of the week and the first part of it is like that like episode seven and episode 10 and episode 39 like you can watch totally devoid of any other context and they're just like this is a power rangers episode but there's a lot of stuff mm-hmm. that are like arcs and things that connect back across the whole show which was another thing that kind of made it bingeable i think is that like i noticed that there were like clear ways that characters were changing or moving or motivations and things that were going to happen um episode 17 and 18 are about like another uh virum empress juza shows up uh and she and radigay have like a little fight and then she makes him human and you get to see what he's like as a human without his memories for part of these two episodes. And then like he gets his memories back and helps the Jetmen defeat her and move her and get rid of her. And then he like takes the power that she brought with her and he goes and does his own thing again. But like you get to see this 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 like little bit of like what would this guy be like without all the baggage of like where he came from and like this fight that he has and this lust for power. So like that's like why I wanted you to like potentially see those episodes. But like they're also uh-huh. like way tonally darker than this and a little bit more connected to like the greater plot. Yeah. It is interesting to think about the tone issue and, um, you know, as children's entertainment, like we said, there's some content that just feels like maybe it's crossing a line. Uh, but sometimes we maybe are treat our children too safely <laughs> with things. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, it also, you do want it to feel like a cohesive whole and, yeah there's times where maybe that darkness feels out of like, like not just inappropriate, but maybe like out of place from what everything else is. And and that maybe is as disruptive as like saying, Oh, my kid doesn't need to see blood dripping out of a faucet. It's really just, uh, that feels out of, you know, this is, it is like a bad jigsaw piece in the puzzle of this episode. Right. Right. Or like in the second episode when Ryu is just like, Hey, you need to help help because you have this power and you should do something. And guys like, nah, people, human beings should die because of all their pollution and racism. Like you don't expect a line like that kid show. It's very nihilistic. Yeah, and yeah. Just like, ah, no, like, <laughs> screw this. I feel like guy and gray should like, yes, they have the episode together, but I feel like they should just have a heart to heart. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, they're, they're kind of like rivals. They, they have multiple like one-on-one fights across the, uh, the series. Like big, like blowout fights, like when other things are going yeah. on. Uh huh. So yeah, when it's a guy focus episode, you know, Gray's probably going to be the, the the antagonist. Yeah, Gray's uh, often so involved I, in a guy episode. 
there must be some like acknowledgement of kind of like the doppelgangerish uh like worldview that these two have yeah and like they both become like their character arcs are very similar because like they both become like softer people through their interaction like kind of with a romantic interest but also just kind of exploring their lives on earth more and like having people to like be associated with and i mean as as we said yeah this is silly monster of the week like absurd monster of the week uh silliness that's here but each one of the episodes are are, you know had some connection to like an idea that they made sure the audience knew about like humans have a weakness for any humans have a weakness for impatience and as delightfully absurd as it is to have a couple ramen represent human impatience (laughs) it they like the uh the monster's powers isn't just like oh i'm gonna dissolve the people or you know whatever that you disintegrate or suck into another dimension it's i'm gonna make the people more impatient uh there's like this little bit of a nod to a moral that children can take away yeah Uh, the thing in the cup ramen episode that makes me laugh uh and will make me laugh forever is like the little like five-year-old girl at the theme park that then like eats the cup ramen and then becomes incredibly impatient and violent and like beats the tar out of a grown man. <laughs> when you're impatient. <laughs> because she wants, it's like the, she wants the, to ride the ride. It's like the opposite of the, the mother who can lift a car off a child when the child's in danger. It's like when the, when the little kid, it really wants to ride the ride. They get the, the strength of 10 people. Yeah. It's just a very funny visual because, like, she's got a foot on the guy's chest and is looking down at him like he better stay there. And it's just, like, so funny. (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, Norman, is there any final thoughts that you want to share about Jetman? Uh, Yeah. um, I I think it's a really it's a really fun watch. It's a surprisingly easy watch. The episodes are free on Tubi. Um, the actual runtime that it shows me is is just under 20 minutes per episode. So it's easy to just, Mm -hmm. like try it out and and just kind of give it a shot watch the first three episodes if nothing in the first three episodes grabs you then there's probably nothing in a super sentai series overall for you but if something about this is like interesting to you after watching spending an hour to watch three episodes then keep watching because the 51 episodes are a really fun journey i mean i would recommend just jumping to episode 10 and just watching the the god ramen uh seeing what you got uh (laughs) <laughs> and say does this does this scratch any itch that i ever have had yeah. <laughs> oh because that i knew this was you know the, the basic purpose of super sentai show like i knew pretty quickly god ramen caught me so off guard and just i never could have imagined yeah. <laughs> that like be- <laughs> any budget would be spent to create <laughs> The, the cup of noodle monster <laughs> like because the last time i was here we had talked about the one piece uh mo- movie z uh i was just like i don't feel bad about the really silly stuff here we, we've already we've we've gone past that already <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> and and i i love delightfully absurd things uh yeah bring that on I, we need more absurdism in our entertainment like uh, i'm kind of challenging and, and myself I'm just like how silly of a thing can i bring to joe when i'm on, <laughs> on the podcast <laughs> And I also, I want it to be unapologetic. Don't wink at the audience and say, we know this is silly. Just do it. Just own it. (laughs) Just go out and be it. And that's what this does. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, thank you, Norman, for asking us to cover uh, Jetman. That was a delight. And that's going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice. And please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. Norman, is there anything you would like to plug? Uh, uh, at the moment, uh, between like podcast projects and everything, 
Uh, but if you would like to, to support me personally and have an interest in tabletop RPGs, um, if you search my name, Norman Mitchell, on drivethroughrpg.com, you can see some Pathfinder First Edition and 5e books that I had contributed to. All right. Well, thank you again, Norman. And listeners, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. Joe is either going to think that this is like just really funny and really enjoy this, or he's going to be like, I don't know what I just watched. <laughs> the thing is, I, I was like, I think like if Todd was still on, he would have been in the, what was this? But then I'm also like, except sometimes he's not. Sometimes he really gets into the, the silly thing. So I don't know what Todd would have made of this. <laughs>